It's a wonderful privilege to have Pastor Glenn and Lynn here tonight. Pastor Glenn and I have been friends for a number of years, and um, uh, and and Lynn, obviously, uh, friends with my wife and myself. And um, he's uh, he's a he's a Canadian who lives in America, Texan. He's starting to sound like a Texan, right? Uh, but but I remember when I first met him, I thought, I, I actually saw you from America. You know, when you tell a Canadian that, it's like you offended them, right? But now you are you tell him, they say, no, no, I'm from America. <laughs> Amen. Pastor Glenn, you're a great man of God. Thank you for coming. And we really appreciate you. Why don't you come up? Why don't you just stand to your feet as we, uh, as we um, honor God and thank God for Him. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Great to have you here. And uh, God's going to do incredible things tonight. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Love you. Yeah. Amen. Bless you. Bless you. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Yeah. Yes, we live in Texas, in Dallas, Texas, but we are Canadians. I just want to just make it clear. Thank you. Bless you guys. All right, such an honor to be here. Honestly, um, Pastor Clive, Pastor Sharon, thank you so much for having Lynn and I here tonight. You know, Pastor Clive, I did not remember what you shared about back in 2015 being here and saying this is a house of glory. So guess what I'm speaking on tonight? The ha- being a house of glory. True, true story, honestly. I had no idea. Honestly, I completely... F- forgot about that. But yeah, I, re- I remember now that uh, kind of uh, stirred that back up again. But I just want to share some things tonight about what I feel the Lord is saying in this season in which we live and what is happening in terms of the church's responsibility. Because we can look at the world, we can see what's happening, governments all over the globe, and we get our focus on that stuff Remember, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. So ultimately, the point is we have a commission, and that commission is to preach the kingdom. And his kingdom is powerful. His kingdom is far above every other kingdom, every other ruler in the world. And so God is calling his back to that simplicity to understand that we're called to preach the kingdom. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 10, verse 7, as you go, preach and say the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So I'm here to say to you tonight, the kingdom is in hand. The kingdom is in hand. The kingdom is in hand. That, that expression in hand means it's here. Reach out. Receive it. It's here. The kingdom is here. You can receive all that God has in store for you. That's, that's another message another time. All right. COVID-19 is kind of, I call it the mother of invention. Because what it did was it pushed some of us into new directions in ministry. For example, being more digital, very good. Um, but not a substitute for getting together, amen? I mean, it, it's like, let's do that, reach people globally, but we need to get together. So important that we connect, we forsake not the assembly together of ourselves, the koinonia, the fellowship. So very, very important. During COVID-19, the Lord did several things with us. Number one, he pushed us out of Canada back into the United States where we were able to really embark on our apostolic ministry. Out of that has emerged a global network of people. So we're here ministering in Australia, some of the places we've been and where we're going after here is part of that. And then out of that also was the, uh, the launching of an online television network. 
and that's continuing to develop and grow, and we're using that not only to preach the gospel in English, but to preach the gospel to other nations in other languages. Currently, we are ministering in Creole, which is a language of Haiti, in uh, Spanish, in Portuguese, in Hindi, and French, and then we're about to launch in Arabic, Arabic, and Bahasa. Okay, so Bahasa is Indonesia, right? And so, which is the fourth largest country in the world, population. Number one Muslim nation in the world. And so God is doing amazing things. Guys, pray for us, would you? And pray that this gospel of the kingdom will be preached throughout the world as a testimony of all the nations. And then the end will come, is what Jesus said in Matthew 24, 14. All right, guys, let's go to Exodus chapter 25, second book of the Bible, Exodus chapter 25. Let me give you the backdrop. We're going to read two verses, but before I do, let me give you the historical backdrop. What has been happening is the Lord spoke to Moses. Remember, come up to the mountain. Moses ascends to Mount Sinai. He's up there in God's presence for 40 days and 40 nights. What takes place is the Lord speaks to him. Several things occur. Probably what we uh, equate as, you know, the number one thing that happened when Moses was on top of that mountain was the giving of the Ten Commandments. But in actuality, so much more occurred. In fact, read Exodus 20, that's the Ten Commandments. Then 21, 22, 23, various laws, how we interact with one another in socially and so forth. But then in chapter 24, there is the ratification of the covenant. In other words, God calls the people back to covenant. And I want you to understand something, if you've not already seen this, that anytime God is about to do something significant in terms of pouring out His Spirit, shaking the earth, awakening, revival, whatever you want to call it, He calls the people back to covenant. We see that in Elijah's day. There was a restoration of calling the people back to covenant before the fire of God fell. There's a sense in which God is doing that today, I believe. God is doing something powerful in the earth, but he's calling his people back to him. Do you have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying? Things are never going back to the way they were. There is emerging right now a remnant that is committed to see his kingdom come in power, the glory of God, and everything else that does not give Jesus his rightful place and allow the Holy Spirit to move and do what he was sent to do by Jesus. There is a remnant today that will walk away from that, will contend against that, and will see the antithesis of that happened because the enemy is not threatened by an impotent, non-lethal, antithetical form of Christianity that has no power to change. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. 2 Timothy 3 the first four verses are all about how evil the world will become in the last days, he says. Perilous times in the last days. Pastor Clive alluded to that. Lovers of money, lovers of self, lovers of pleasure, all of that. But then in verse 5, he says, they will have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. And you know what he says we're supposed to do with that? He said, from such people withdraw. 
from such people walk away. Don't associate with them. May I say it plainly? Don't go to those churches. Don't go to those churches. Why would you attend a church that Jesus doesn't attend? God renews covenant. He calls us back to himself. The covenant, the terms are set by the greater party. Hello? The terms are set by the greater party. What's known as the Caesarean covenant. Hello, who's the greater party in the covenant? Right? If we don't like the lordship of Jesus in our life, there's not much we can do about it. We're not able to vote him out. His term never expires. He cannot be impeached. <laughs> so, well, we vote liberal, we vote labor, we vote Democrat, we vote Republican. No, it doesn't work that way in the kingdom. He's king. He's king of kings and lord of lords. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess. Now or then. Don't wait until it's too late. It's a lie that Jesus can be your Savior and not be your Lord. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do the things that I say? Jesus said. So all of a sudden, the Lord renews covenant, calls the people back, and then in chapter 25, he begins to speak to them about something that many of us have missed. You see, when the Lord called, when Yahweh called Moses to be with him in his presence, and he was there for 40 days and 40 nights, not only did he receive the Ten Commandments, but he received the blueprints for something that would be known as the tabernacle or the sanctuary. And when you look at the rest of Exodus, there's 40 chapters in the book of Exodus. When you look at the duration of that book, you start to see from chapter 25 all the way through chapter 39, more or less, God gives Moses the exact blueprints, the pattern, the divine specifications regarding how this tabernacle is to be built as well as all of the furnishings that would go into it. So we pick it up here in verse number eight and nine of Exodus 25. Watch this. The Lord speaks to Moses and he says, Moses, I want you to speak to the children of Israel. Now, they had already given a free will offering to the Lord in the first few verses of this chapter. But now he says, with this, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Look at that. According to all that I show you, that is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings, just so you shall make it. Just so. Where we err is we think that God of the Old Testament was a God who just desired that, that we would be, you know, he was exacting, he required of us that we would keep his laws and commandments. And though that is true, his desire from the beginning was to have a people 
with which he could fellowship. Specifically, he says that I may dwell among them. Dwell among them. In the beginning, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, you know that God was with them. We read that in Genesis 3, verse 8. He would come down and in the, in the cool of the day in the garden. They would hear the sound of the Lord God. There was fellowship. There was, there was communion. There was oneness with God that took place. And after Adam and Eve sinned and the transgressed, of course, that was breached. But here's Moses. He's setting things in order. And what he's doing is he's giving us a type and a shadow that's something that is temporal on the earth, which reflects a spiritual reality, which would ultimately be fulfilled in the new covenant where the church would become the temple of God and he would dwell not only among us, but would dwell in us. Individually and collectively. So here, Moses is told, build this. This thing, this sanctuary, he calls it. The word sanctuary is very interesting. In the Hebrew language, it's Kadesh. It's derived from the word Kadesh. In Ezekiel 20, verse 12, we're introduced to this one who is called Jehovah Kadesh. I am the Lord that sanctifies you. I've given you my Sabbaths that you might know that I am the Lord that sanctifies you. Jehovah Kadesh. So Moses, tell them, instruct them, build me a sanctuary, a holy habitation. This word would never be used of just a building that would serve just an ordinary mundane purpose. It was always used as a sacred place, as a place of worship. Build them this sanctuary that I may dwell among them, that I may come and make my habitation in their midst. And Moses, make sure that you build it according to the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all of its furnishings, just so you shall make it. Do it exactly according to divine specificity. Do not compromise. Do not use inferior materials. Do not cut corners. Do not try to save, but do it exactly the way I tell you to do it, Moses, because it reflects a spiritual reality. It reflects something that is perfect, that is holy, that is awesome, and I don't want you to touch it with your hands. I don't want you to diminish it or downgrade it because I am the Lord your God, and I am holy, and I require you to build me a holy habitation. We cannot serve God on our own terms. But Lord, you know I mean well. Guys, it doesn't cut it. Remember that guy? His name is in Hebrew, Uzzah. We might say in English, Uzzah. And he decided that they would take the, the you know, the, the tabret, I'm sorry, the, the Ark of the Covenant and carry it, right? Put it on a cart. And then as the oxen stumbled and it began to fall, he reached out and touched it. He meant well, but he died. 
And later when you read about it, what was the problem? What did God say? He said, because they did not do it according to the prescribed order. There was a prescribed way, prescribed, that word means written out previously. There was a pattern, there was a blueprint, there was a way that they were to do it, but they did what they thought was good and okay. And God says, no, you can't do it that way. We live in a time where just as it says in Ephesians 5, that we are to search out to know what pleases God. We have to find out what pleases God. We can't worship him on our own terms. We can't approach him based on what we think. This is a time where God is calling his church back to the plumb line, back to the right foundations, and we have to build it just so. This tabernacle, this sanctuary called the Temple of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 6, 19, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. But in 1 Corinthians 3, 16, the, the Greek is plural. And he's saying, since I'm from Texas, let me put it this way. Don't y'all know. You guys know there's y'all, and then there's all y'all, right? So if I were to come to, this may, may come in handy one day. If I were to come see you in a cafe, and there was someone that Lynn and I knew, and we walked up to you, and you had some friends with you. We didn't know who they were. We know you. We'd say, hey, y'all, how you going? Right? Not how you going, how you doing. We don't say how you going. Hey, y'all. But then when we decide we're going to address everyone, then it's how about all y'all? All right? So there you go. Totally useless. If you ever go to Texas, you can learn how to say y'all and all y'all. Know how to use it. Context. Very important. <laughs> All right, so here he's saying build it according to the divine pattern, the, the way it's supposed to be done. Listen, because we are the temple. All right, individually, yes, but corporately, collectively, the church is a temple. Listen to this. You ready? Two scriptures really quickly. This is from the book of Ephesians, chapter 123 and chapter 319 from the Amplified Bible Classic Edition. Are you ready? Listen to this. He says, Paul says, the church is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. For in that body lives the full measure of him who makes everything complete and who fills everything everywhere with himself. Oh my gosh. Chapter 319. Paul's prayer for the church that you may be filled through all your being unto all the fullness of God, that you may have the richest measure of the divine presence and become a body wholly filled and flooded with God himself. That's what we're called to be. Think about, you know, Pastor Clive, I was wrecked tonight. That video in the beginning is so powerful. I was healed in a Catherine Coleman meeting when I was this young. I've been to three of her meetings. I sat with David, Wil David Wilkerson in his office on the 88th floor or whatever it was in Times Square. As he spoke, just he and I poured into me, spoke to me, prophesied over my life. David Wilkerson shaped my life in the beginning. My ministry, our ministry. Guys, Ravenhill, come on now. Come on now. Clyde Pawson, come on now. 
come on. <laughs> All the generals. <laughs> Seriously, guys, come on. We've got to go back to this. We've got to go back to this. One of my friends told me, you know, we're, we're adults, grown up, probably in our 20s or 30s. He says to me one day, you know, when I was young, my mom, who was in a wheelchair, she was crippled. She was taken to a Catherine Kuhlman healing meeting. She did not believe that Catherine Kuhlman was authentic. She believed it was, it was fake, it was a farce. But she was placed in this wheelchair near the front, and she sat there, and then just at one point when there was worship going on, Catherine Kuhlman walked out from the back, and as she walked by where these people were, my friend's mom was instantly healed, and heat went through her body. Not even, no one prayed for her, no one laid hands on her, no one touched her, just the glory and the anointing. I, I spoke with Richard Roberts one time, and he told me the story in 1973 when Catherine Kuhlman was at the Maybe Center at Oral Roberts University with the custodians, the janitors. They, they would see her and, you know, as she, as she would come out of her room and they would mock her because she was kind of quirky, right? And, and they, would, they would say, you know, look at her. And she walks by them and both of the janitors get slain in the spirit. Then when they take her out to the platform, they have to go through the kitchen because there's so many people. And as they walk through the kitchen, people working in, in the kitchen, food prep start falling out under the anointing and the presence of God as this woman walks through. There is biblical precedent for this. Biblical precedent. Acts chapter 5, 14 through 16 informs us that the anointing that Peter carried was so strong that the sick were brought out into the streets, laid on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Also, a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. All healed. Paul, so full of the glory that God wrought extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and diseases left them and evil spirits went out of them. Amazing. See, we're living in a time where God is saying, church, enough is enough. I want to come back to my church. You think God's God, He can do whatever He wants. Yes, He can, but He doesn't force Himself. Remember the story. There's a church in Revelation chapter 2. It's called the Church of Laodicea. And we read in verse 3 that Jesus is standing at the door knocking, asking if He can come in. Contrary to popular opinion, Jesus is not knocking 
on the door of the hearts of sinners. It's a church. It's a church to the church in Laodicea, to the church. And then he speaks about the church letting him come into their midst. In other words, he was no longer recognized nor welcomed as the guest of honor. As I said earlier, why would you attend a church Jesus doesn't attend? I wasn't being facetious. This is an example of what I'm talking about. Jesus is on the outside, glorious condescension that he would knock and say, would you please let me in? Let me come in. I want intimacy. I want relationship. I want to sup with you. I want to be in your midst. They said they were increased in goods and in all these things. Jesus said, no, you're wretched, you're poor, you're blind, you're miserable. You have no idea how bad things are. And I want to come and show show you my glory. I want to come and be in the midst of my people. God has been patient. He's been merciful. He allowed the church and all of our foolishness, many leaders who've gone to a place where, where we became seeker sensitive. Let me talk about that for a moment. Let me talk about that being seeker sensitive. In America, we can't have crosses. That offense. In America, we won't preach on the blood of Jesus Christ. In America, we won't pray for people. And in America, and I know other countries as well, we will not allow the Holy Spirit to manifest. Naughty Holy Spirit. Let's put him in a closet. Let's keep him locked up in there. Because if we let him out, he might mess up things. He might create chaos. But how many know before you have cosmos, you have chaos. There has to be a work. Before a body was formed, the bones came together. There was noise. Before the earth, it looked like chaos. Holy Spirit, we know better than you. We know how to reach these people better than you. I'm being, obviously, using the argument of absurdity here, but I'm making a point, right? Then we went into a season like, okay, we're good with Holy Spirit, we're good with this presence. But then the church has been driven and governed by leadership principles, leadership principles. We've taken courses. How do you scale the 200 barrier, the 500 barrier? We've learned how to cast vision effectively, implement strategies and systems. How do we close the back door and keep the front door and even open up some side doors? And we become brilliant at bringing in the crowds in many places. Our focus has been more about filling buildings with people than filling people with Jesus. No more church. There's a remnant that's hungry. It's happening all over the world. We've been going to Brazil. God is moving in Brazil. I was at a church recently. I got there at 7 p.m. They had started at 9 a.m. and had not stopped. 7 p.m. The time they get me up to preach, it's like after 8 p.m. 
I preach for a while, and then we minister for hours, hours, and people are being filled with the Holy Spirit. Demons are coming out of people. People's lives are being changed. People are being set free, and God is moving. And the young people were crowding around me to the point where I was like, come on, guys, this is getting scary. I mean, I got a picture where I'm surrounded and they're just trying to touch me, and people are touching me, and they're falling out under the anointing, and they're falling under the glory. Such a hunger, such a desire for the things of God. We just returned from earlier on, well, in August, we were preaching in Melbourne at a church there, a friend of our pastors, and that church something blew up that weekend. They'd already been going hard after God, but something blew up that weekend. And now they're at a place where people are coming in and they're having to turn people away, even though it's a large facility. Sometimes people are lining up outside on the sidewalk and there's nothing entertaining. There's nothing attractional. Jesus is the main person, the main event, and what it's all about. Guys, it's time for revival. It's time for the glory. It's time for the book of Acts to happen again. Peter Shadow, Paul, Catherine Coleman, all of these things. God wants to restore it. I want you to think of this. In 1 Corinthians 2, 4 and 5, this is what Paul says. He says, my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Think about this. I was at a pastor's gathering not too long ago in Dallas, Texas. Guys, so many churches, so many ministries there. A young man came in. He was introduced. He began to share how he had been approached by Hollywood. They wanted to create an, a reality TV show that was about him. And I was like, what is this guy? Why is he so special? And they said he has several million followers on TikTok because of how eloquently he preaches. He teaches people how to preach, how to be an effective communicator. Nothing wrong with that. But as he began to speak and share all about this and how he was going to become a celebrity more or less, my heart just began to grieve. I said, Lord, you're the only one that should become famous. This isn't about man. Listen, guys, Paul said, my speech and preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Listen to the next verse. Listen, listen. That your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. We need to be broken. We need his glory. Lord, hide me. Bring me to a place of brokenness, such dependence that when I open my mouth, people hear from you. Whatever I do draws attention to you. You see, 
ministry void of the anointing fails to place the focus on Christ and his power, draws attention to human ability. And when this happens, men unwittingly, perhaps, promote a subtle form of idolatry. Only the Spirit's anointing will ensure that people's faith is in the power of God and not in the wisdom of men. So I said to the young man afterwards, I chat, I, I met with him privately, took him off to the side and began to speak with him with what he shared. And he began to tell me about all his followers and all of the people that have contacted him. And I asked him, I said, can you tell me something? When was the last time you saw someone healed of cancer? Can you tell me when was the last time you ministered to someone that was so bound, that was so broken, and you took authority over those spirits, unclean spirits that had been keeping them in bondage for years, and those spirits left, and that person's life was forever changed. You see, the power is not in the preach. The power is in the cross. Let me close with this. You know the story. Exodus 33, in the midst of all of what was happening, here's the Lord. He's, he's fed up with the Israelites, with their complaining and their unbelief. And so he says to Moses, Moses, guess what? He said, I've had it. He said, I, I, I'm not going to take the children of Israel up into the promised land. Depart, go up from here, and the people whom you brought up to the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your offspring, I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. Think about this. What did Moses say? What would we say? Lord, I understand we've been difficult. We're stubborn. We've tried you, pushed you beyond the limit. And Lord, we get that you don't want to go up with us, but that's okay. We'll still go up. We'll possess the promise. We'll go into the land flowing with milk and honey. Thank you, Lord. We still have the promise, so we thank you. But Moses said, no, no deal, God. Unless your presence, unless your presence goes with us. Do not send us up. Do not send us up. Lord, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here, for how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us? 
so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth. Guys, that which makes us different is not our doctrine, it's not our theology, it's not even our orthodoxy, what we believe about Jesus' divinity, for example, compared to other religions, but it's His presence. It's His glory. Think about it. Lord, your presence, your presence, your presence. How long has it been? Since we've been back in Australia, people are saying, and it's sad. I'm glad it's happening, but it's sad. They've said, we haven't felt the presence and the anointing and the power of God like this in so long. I had a man, we were just in Adelaide. This man had been in revival. He's an older man in his 80s. This is what he said to me. He said, I haven't felt the anointing like this in over 40 years. Guys, are we like the Laodicean church? Going through the motions? Having our gatherings, religious activity has become a cheap substitute for the very presence and anointing of Jesus Christ. Unless your presence goes with us, don't send us up. Can't settle for the promise. The promise without the presence is not enough. Unless your presence goes with us. Many have sought God for the promises, for his provision, for promotion, and for many other things. But it's time, the Lord would say, for my church to come back and seek me and live, says the Lord. Seek me and live, says the Lord. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added. Seek the Lord. It is time to seek the Lord. Seek me, and you will find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Come on, church. Come on, church. Let's stand to our feet. Come on, church. Let's stand to our feet. The King of glory is here tonight. Come on. The King of glory is here tonight. He's here. He's here. He's here. He's here. Come on. Come on. Build him a sanctuary. Build him a sacred place. Get rid of all those things. Get rid of all those things that would grieve the Holy Spirit. Stop resisting the Holy Spirit. Allow yourself and allow yourself to become a sanctuary, a holy habitation for His presence. Let Him come down. Let Him come in in glory. Let Him have His way. Weep between the porch and the altar. Cry out. Cry out until you get the breakthrough. Cry out until his presence comes and changes you. Cry out until you see this king of glory. The king of glory may come in. The king of glory, the Lord strong and mighty. 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 Come on, come on, worship him. Worship him, all eyes on Jesus. All the glory, all the glory, all the glory.
just right now just say Holy Spirit come if you've not been baptized with the Holy Spirit this is a time this is a time if you need a fresh infilling a fresh touch this is a time come on Holy Spirit have your way Holy Spirit welcome Holy Spirit have your way Spirit of the living God, Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us. Spirit of the living God, we welcome you. We build a sanctuary for you. The habitation of your glory, the habitation of your glory. Come on, we know this is not about visitation. This is about habitation. The new normal, the new normal, the new normal, the new normal, his glory, his power, his power, his power, his glory. We repent, Lord for trying to do church without you. We repent, Lord, for thinking we've got it all figured out, that we know what we're doing. We know nothing. We know nothing. We know nothing. Without you, we are nothing. Without you, we can do nothing. We know nothing, Lord. We know nothing, Lord, unless your presence goes with us. Unless your presence is with us. Lord, unless your presence is with us. Unless, Lord, unless, Lord, unless, Lord, unless, Lord, God. But wait, tarry in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. Tarry until you're endued with power from on high. This great glory, this great anointing that God wants to give to each one of us who will pay the price, who will prepare a sanctuary individually but collectively in that place that the church would become the habitation come on i am praying for the new normal to be every, every church the, the vast majority of churches are all about the glory all about the presence and people walk in to some churches where that's not happening and they go i'm out of here I'm out of here. Guys, in love, I say this. Those churches lose people and shut down because people say, in this day of extreme everything, in this day where everything is crazy, the church has to be extreme. Come on. The church has to be extreme. We have to go back to the biblical way. And we say that everything that does not give the Lord Jesus Christ his rightful place, Lord, deal deal, repentance, repentance, repentance. Lord, that every leader, that every leader would be convicted and would cry out to you and re relinquish control and allow you to have your rightful place. Have your rightful place. Have your rightful place. Come on now. Pastor Clyde, I think this is kind of like part two of the prophecy. I feel like the Lord is saying that there is a, there is a mandate as, as we already talked about this. You know this is nothing new. This is a mandate. This house is a habitation of glory. I'm not going to say it will become. It is a habitation of glory already. What is going to happen as this goes from glory to glory, from glory to glory? I see this happening, Pastor. I see there are going to be pastors and other leaders that are going to come to you. And it's like, teach us how to do this. Teach us how to do this. We need the glory. We want the glory. We want the presence back. Already, we're starting to see this in 
in Australia. People are leaders, pastors, and others saying, we want the glory. We want his presence. We want the Holy Spirit to come back. And I'm telling you that there's going to be a, a sense in which people are going to be drawn to this place like a magnet. And they're going to be like even leaders that are going to say, teach us, teach us, teach us, teach us how to host his presence. Teach us how to see his glory come. Teach us. And guys, we know there's a cost. There's a cost. Grieve not the Spirit. Do not quench the Spirit of God. Paul said at least four times words to that effect. Acts 7. 51, Hebrews 10, 29, Ephesians 4, 30, 1 Thessalonians 5, 19. He warned the church, make sure you don't insult Holy Spirit. Make sure you don't put out the fire of the Holy Spirit. Do not despise the work of the Holy Spirit. Yes, we test things, but we don't despise the work of the Holy Spirit. He warned the church. Come on. Would you just begin to welcome him? Come on now, this is the time, guys. Let's get it right. Let's get it right. Let's bring our lives into alignment. Let's bring our lives into alignment with what he wants to do. This is the time. Lord, yes, have your way. Come on, just begin to pray. Just begin from your heart. Just begin to pray for him. Just begin to pray for him. Just begin to pray to him. Begin to pray. The Lord, about you, your walk with God, your relationship with Him. Stop worrying. Stop being afraid. Put your eyes on Him. Put your eyes on Him. Come on, this is the time. This is the time. God, He wants to bless you. It's not going to be hard in the next season. Pastor Clive, this is a word, another word the Lord gave me. Just Holy Spirit just reminded me. Just while we were in our hotel room praying this afternoon, the Lord took me to 2 Chronicles 17 and 2 Chronicles 20, the story of Jehoshaphat. And there is a point where it says, because I, I believe it's somewhere around verse 8 or so, it says that Jehoshaphat, his heart took delight in the ways of the Lord. Then it says in verse number 10, I believe it is, that the enemy, the enemies of Israel all around them, because the fear of God fell on them, would not attack Judah under Jehoshaphat's leadership. Listen, then when you go to the 20th chapter, it actually says the same thing. It reiterates it, but he adds in the 20th chapter, after they defeated the enemy, it says, now the kingdom was at rest. And as I read that, the Lord said this to me. He said, I'm telling you, son, there's a time when my people, when they really delight in my ways, when they enter into rest, he said, you're going to see the, the attacks are going to stop. The deliverance is going to come. The breakthroughs are going to occur. And you're going to see your prayers answered. And all of a sudden, it's kind of like, what 
made the difference. The difference is now he's doing it. You've taken your hands off. You stop worrying. You stop trying to make it happen. You're resting in him. Your heart is truly being enamored with the Lord and with his ways. And you fall in love afresh with Jesus. And you walk in a way that honors him and pleases him. And as you do that, God begins to work on your behalf. God begins to rout the enemy. He says, you will not have to fight this battle, Jehoshaphat, for this battle belongs to the Lord. This battle belongs to the Lord. You're going to wake up, and all of a sudden, that backslidden son or daughter are going to be different. You're going to wake up, and all of a sudden, that person that you know that has walked away from that relationship, that marriage, is going to change, and they're going to come back. You're going to see it happen because we stepped into rest. We stepped into rest, a place of rest. Lord, you do it. I rest in you.